This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Christchurch Conversations Towards 2030 is a series of five events exploring how Otautahi Christchurch can achieve its climate goals. Organized by Te Butahi Centre for Architecture and City Making, each event features a range of thought-provoking speakers, from local experts providing the latest information to local businesses and residents sharing their own experiences and actions. This is part two of the fourth event called 15-Minute Neighbourhoods, which explores the idea of getting everything you need for daily living within a 15-minute walk or bike ride from home. We hear from experts, individuals, and community groups who are already making the change and reducing their emissions in the process. This session begins with a presentation from Mitchell Anderson of Urban Intelligence and the University of Canterbury. Great. Uh, kia ora katou. Uh, my name is Mitchell Anderson, and I'm here on behalf of Urban Intelligence and the uh, University of Canterbury. Uh, our team at the university has been conducting a bit of research uh, for the last wee while, looking a little bit deeper into this idea of a 15-minute city or what is an accessible neighbourhood. And so with that in mind, it's been really great to see the uptake of this concept within Otatahi Christchurch, uh, especially within our own local council. So thank you for that. Um, and so, so far we've heard talks about uh, how the 15-minute city or these accessible neighbourhoods instill or promote things like better health outcomes, more affordable living, economic stimulation, and a lower carbon footprint. And so to ensure that we're actually instilling these things and these values into our communities, it's really important that we can measure and evaluate how our current communities, cities, and neighbourhoods stack up. And so... Some of the work we've been doing and the work we're about to publish allows us to say, for example, that Christchurch is a 34-minute city. In contrast, we can say that Wellington may be a 22-minute city. And the reason this is so important is it allows us to see how our communities, neighbourhoods and cities can change and develop over time. Additionally, we can use these measurements to evaluate how future land use plans, long-term plans, future investments and developments can benefit our communities before we break ground or start the resource consent uh, process. So essentially this allows us and allows our decision makers and our councils to make better, more informed decisions about our future. And so I'll keep this relatively short and sweet, but um, our team to... Uh, sit alongside the research and make it more accessible, we've developed an interactive dashboard or a, or a web app, uh, which we'll be displaying uh, down the end, at the end of this event. Um, and essentially this allows uh, decision makers and residents to jump on and see just how well our neighbourhoods and cities are doing compared to others. And so whether you're looking, to, uh, looking for a new area to buy a house or whether you're trying to rally your local council for more mixed-use development, uh, better amenity service, or higher density, this is the kind of thing that we're hoping will help. So uh, we encourage you to take a look at the QR code or come have a chat to us uh, afterwards down the end. Thanks.
Uh, kia ora, I'm Michelle Hollis and I also work with Teputahi. Um, just as Mitch has said, if you're interested in more about that work, you can have a play in a COVIDly safe way um, afterwards just to your right. And if you're in the live stream, uh, we've put the address to the live stream uh, for Mitchell's work into the chat. It's urbanintelligence.co.nz. Now, a socially distanced, stay-in-your-seat interactive activity. Uh, for the live stream, you're welcome to play using emojis. Instructions are in the chat. You have two cards. Green represents yes. Pink means no. Answer, please, by holding up one of your cards. Right. I'm, go I'm, I'm going to do the questions, and Jess, you're going to demonstrate. Is this the, I think this is the idea. Righty-ho. Within a 15-minute walk of your home, do you have green space? That's very green. Within a 15-minute walk of your home, do you have a primary school? That's quite green. Within 15 minutes walk, do you have local shops? Oh, I'm astonished. That's Within a 15-minute walk of your home, do you have a bus service to the central city? And now, do children play out on your street? Here's a tricky one, because it has parts. We want to know how safe do you feel it is to bike around your neighbourhood? And I'm going to ask you this in different ways. Do you feel it is safe for an eight-year-old on their own to bike around your neighbourhood? Mm, not many greens. Do you feel it is safe for an eight-year-old with adult supervision to bike around your neighbourhood? Now, do you feel it is safe for an adult on their own to bike around the neighbourhood? And presumably those who've still got read up, it's not on your nelly. How about, would it be easy for someone with limited mobility to cross your street? It seems mixed to me. And does your street have trees? Thank you very much for that. Those are just prompts, it's not scientific, but they're prompts to think about what a 15-minute neighbourhood would look like for each of us. What's missing near me? What would make a walk or bike ride around my neighbourhood pleasant or even possible? What already exists that I could use more often? And now we've got our favourite part of the whole event, from my point of view, which is our local stories. So we've invited some absolutely lovely people to share how they live locally. They're going to introduce themselves, and we're going to start with the youngest, Santi. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Santiago Montejo, and I live in Beckenham Christchurch. I always love biking around anywhere and everywhere in my city. When it's raining, hailing, or sweltering hot, I always enjoy biking I find it liberating from school and exams and the stress of life. It's a time in the day when I can relax and let my mind wander and not be in a rush. Every day, I make the 15-minute commute from home to school. Most of my friends take the bus, but I find it 
unreliable, slow at rush hour and pretty crowded. It makes stops all the time and is very late. Bikes, on the other hand, have smooth lanes that are direct shots straight to the city. I also find bikes super convenient. Whenever we're missing something for dinner, I can jump on my bike and easily grab it at the supermarket. Or if I have errands in the city, I can ride in and I don't have to find a parking space or pay for a meter. I can lock it to a lamppost and get whatever I need and make it home quickly. Bikes are compact, lightweight, easy to use and affordable and keep you in shape when you're, right, when you're going about life. You don't need a super fancy road bike or electric bike to get from A to B. And in my case, everything is pretty close to home, so it isn't a big hassle. Most people say bikes are slow, fragile, they make you sweaty, and they're terrible in bad weather. And yes, they're all annoying problems with bikes, but you can always find ways around these problems. If you sweat too much, take it slower. Biking isn't always a race, it's a mode of transport. If it's raining outside, just take a rain jacket or take the bus. Buses, in my opinion, aren't my cup of tea, but they have their uses. And bikes are slower than vehicles, but on busy days, when the streets are crowded, the bike lanes are smooth sailing. I can understand how people may feel a bit daunted about hopping on a bike. They may not see themselves as a biking person, or if they've been driving so cars so long that riding a bike feels a bit unnatural. But finding alternatives to a single driver but finding alternatives to single driver cars is going to be a necessity in the future as we tackle challenges like climate change. And bikes will be an important part of this solution. Hi, everyone. Boa tarde. I am Sibeli Freitas. I am an economist who works in the local government here in New Zealand with technology. Um, my accent's from Brazil. I came from Brazil. I came from one of the biggest and busiest cities in the world where I used to spend about five hours of my day commuting and actually uh, in, around pollution as well. And this is very bad for me because I have asthma. And you can imagine how bad it is uh, being asthmatic and being in a city very polluted. Then I arrived here in New Zealand in 2013. It has been eight years. And I have chosen bicycle as my means of transport. Uh, I always live in the region of Fendelton Island and Rickerton. And now I live in Rickerton, Upper Rickerton area. Uh, I never had a car in my life, never. And in Christchurch was my opportunity of bike something that I always wish to do. Um, and I think it's very safe to ride, uh, ride my bike around, especially now that we have so many uh, cycle lanes being built in that area. Um, I'm a little bit lost, sorry. <laughs> English is my third language, so that's all right. We'll get there. Oh, I forgot to say. I'm a broadcaster. I have a radio show here called So Far So Good. And we invite people to talk about commute, uh, community, social matters, social economic matters as well. And we support Biketober. So you can see here my t-shirt. It's 
uh, the Biketober Christchurch people gave to me as a gift because we were supporting Biketober. And it just shows here all the cycle lanes of the city. And I use this area here. There is university city center because I work yeah, in the council. And uh, university because I was studying while I was studying my master's degree there. And actually everywhere. So that is the part. Uh, I bike everywhere and for everything I do. Um, I was a performance in Christchurch City Chorus, so I used to go and do shows and performance and rehearsals, always on my bike, um, shopping, like we saw here, and uh, I prepared a, a video, I, show, I sent it to Michelle, that it's a mission possible actually fit our groceries uh, using our bicycles because we have a basket and we can put a backpack and we can put everything, so it's not a problem. I've been doing that for eight years and it's all good. Uh, let me see if I forgot something. <laughs> yeah, so I go for ketchup and doctor, dentist, like lots of people say here. So, yeah, go to the radio show as well every Thursday, 7.30 p.m., and yeah, and biking helped me in winning an award here in New Zealand, New Zealand of Respiratory Awards that is given by the Asman Respiratory Association. They are in Wellington. So I'm very proud of that because it can show that even you get um, a, a disease or some, some condition, a health condition, doesn't stop you in biking. Even the cold weather is the reason I bought here my ski gloves. That is a part of my tips showing here that if you feel cold, just you need to have the right gear and wear it and then it will be fine. Especially for a person like me from a tropical country, we really need to be very, have the, the right clothes to wear it and, and enjoy the bike. And another one that is a very good helmet. It's very important. This one has protection, special protection for our brain, so in case we get some, something happen. I never had any accident here, but in case we have, you're gonna be protected. And yeah, it's a little bit more expensive than an average one, but it's so worth it, we need to have it. So if you wanna have. I think this is my tips. Um, yeah, that's it, so bicycle has been my friend here, my best friend and witness of my achievements here, living as an immigrant in New Zealand. Thank you very much. Muito obrigada. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Jane. This is my husband, Jeremy. And this is our son, Jacob, who is 10 years old. We live in St Albans and choose to live in this location because it's close to the central city and a range of everyday amenities. We do the majority of our daily commute by cycle. I work in the central city, and Jeremy cycles out to the tannery every day. After living overseas for many years, we were excited about the prospect of being able to live in a city which is conducive to cycling. Both the physical activity of cycling along with the connection it enables us with the city, particularly post-earthquake, is very satisfying. Clearly, it also has many environmental and cost-saving benefits 
for us as a family. My cycle to and from the central city um, during the peak hour is actually also faster than travelling by car and um, don't have the hassles of finding car parking. I think it's also um, a great positive way to start the day and I arrive in the office ready to go. Jeremy will talk about his commute in a moment. But as a family, we are able to enjoy um, cycling into the city on the weekends to attend events, socialise with our friends and enjoy the benefits of Hagley Park, for example. This means it's possible for us to be a one-car family, which we're um, particularly proud of. When uh, I had my workshop based in Sydenham, I'm a, a contemporary jeweller, my cargo bike was the perfect option to commute with my large Bernie's Mountain Dog, Ruby. Um, once I moved the business to the tannery, the 20k round trip needed some more consideration. Uh, Ken and Charlotte at Action Cycles were able to electrify the bike and this enables me to enjoy about a 30 minute commute and also uh, guarantees the arrival of the school pickup even in a good old Norwester. Um, approximately 75% of that trip is now on either a cycle lane or a shared greenway, which is awesome from a point of feeling safe. Um, Jane mentioned the connection that we feel whilst being able to bike through the city and the surrounding suburbs. Being able to always have a park, um, I think Santi mentioned, outside the door of whatever business we visited is amazing. You rock up, whether it be Scorpio Books or Crisp and Edgeware, you know, you're three feet away from the door. Having a cargo bike gives us the chance to do our small shopping easily. Um, we probably knew all of these benefits in advance, um, but one aspect of my daily ride with Ruby was that people smiled or laughed or giggled at us, which is just a great way to start and end each day's commute. Um, Jess, thank you. It's great to be able to share our stories and we've really enjoyed hearing all the other aspects of um, um, the 15-minute neighbourhood, which we can easily participate in with our bikes. Thank you. Thank you. Kia ora koutou. Um, first of all, just to thank... Uh, thank you to Jess and her ropu for inviting me to, um, to talk today. So I actually walked the talk of the 15-minute uh, neighbourhood uh, environment and everything, really, because I've been living in the inner city for the last 20 years, so I just live behind the casino. So if there's any planners regarding how a unit should look, we should come to our units. Um, there's two of us that live in the complex. There's 16, and it's mixed with commercial as well. So actually, we look forward to having residential and of all mixed uses coming into the, into the inner city. So this lovely little dog here, I'm a avid walker. So I do live in the... I work at the DHB, and I think thanks to my husband 20-odd years ago, he had the foresight to always wanted to come and live in the city, so he designed um, our apartment where we live. So 
looking forward to making it more affordable for a lot of people coming into the city as well. I wish I had my daughter here today because she only knows about living in the city. So she uses Uber. She uses the, um, the scooters, which I don't, which I have yet to catch her. <clears throat> and she works at South City at the moment, but she works with me. So it's, uh, in hindsight, it's very good thinking where she wanted to work because she works with our team as well at the DHB, so she just catches a ride with the mother, so it's, it's easy. Um, and we were talking yesterday, actually, this, this talk actually prompted us a lot more about we are a one-car family, and I said to her when she started working full-time that I'm not going to pay for you to buy a car um, because you do work full-time. And so it took her a little while to take into consideration where we live about car parking and about, and as our young ones do, about foresight for what we can do for the environment. So I said, when you get your licence one day, we will share one car. But we were talking this morning about how can we eliminate not having a car at all? That it, that's going to take a wee while. I probably more so because we... I think for a lot of us, we go to the supermarket, we probably go too often, probably three or four times a week. Well, we actually don't need to do that, but it's just the convenience of it. So forward thinking, maybe, oh, I won't give myself a time frame because I think, I think that's in the planning. So um, I'm really looking forward to what everyone's been saying, how we can fit into that picture. So I really embrace anyone that wants to come and live in the inner city in the 15-minute in the um environments in, in the suburbs as well because it works, it's fabulous so, um, and I look forward to how the, our youth can um, impress us with, uh, with their forward thinking and planning I think uh, yeah, that's pretty much it so thank you so much Well, all I can say is kia ora everybody and I wish I were 30 years, 40 years younger so that I can see all this. Anyway, I'm not. I've done everything I needed to. And here I am. There's one big difference between old age change and climate change. With old age, it's absolutely definite One's going to die. You have no choice. With climate change, one has the option of reversing the process. If not, we can't all go and live on the moon. I care as deeply about climate change as I do living into my dying. And this is where the two meet. Caring. My name is Miriam Milner. I'm 82 years old, or young, and I, I live very close to the Heathcote River and Hanson's Park in St. Martin's. I am bionic. Suppose I'm disabled, with two artificial knees, two artificial hips, and two Norwegian walking sticks to confuse everybody. 
because I think I've just come for a walk up in the hills. I'm actually riddled with inherited osteoarthritis. I don't want to name it. But I keep it somewhere hidden in the back of my head and live as best I can within my limitations. Otherwise, I'd be a couch potato. I got my first bike at the age of 10 years and have ridden ever since. Exercising my mind, keeping physically fit, and eating the healthy foods that minimize inflammation has kept me going through my later years. I've learnt that the pleasure of riding in our beautiful environs uplifts my mood pretty quickly. After my ops, I changed to a three-wheeler with a motor. And the reason why I knew I had to change was I couldn't get my, because of my arthritis, I couldn't actually get my foot, my leg over the, over the bar on my bike, my two-wheeler. However, I always pedal. I'm the hoon I used to be, and I ride the trike on the roads, on the cycle lanes, and even going into the city sometimes. My bike's over there. I shop locally, in fact, as much as I can. And if it's too much for me, I take my small Honda car. My favourite my favorite ride is past the supermarket, around Hanson's Park, then along the river to the South City Library, where I drop in to get reading material and a delicious pie or tart on the way back home. That fortifies me. Until recently, my toy poodle, tied in the basket at the back, would mostly come with me. <clears throat> I couldn't count the waves and smiles we both received. Unfortunately, I've outlived my dog. But importantly, the waves and smiles are still there. And it's essential when living alone. I must thank the City Council, thank you, for taking an interest in us cyclists. I only wish we had more dedicated cycle lanes and the Tennyson Street Pavement Cycleway were upgraded to suit trikes. The steep camber in a few of our neighbourhood roads and also quite, quite often elsewhere in the city is also a dangerous impediment for trikes. We haven't been considered yet. It is never too late to start riding a bike. Buy a three-wheeler if you're worried about your balance. Don't leave it too late, as it's, marvelous, as it's a marvellous way to keep fit, healthy, hear the birds, smell the flowers, enjoy the environment, and above all, reduce your carbon emissions. Thank you. I just wish I were 40 years younger. So now it's time to look at how we could create 15-minute neighbourhoods in practice. And to start this conversation, I'm going to have a wee chat with Josie Schroeder, 
who is a passionate advocate for urban design and for our planet. She is the principal urban designer at the City Council, where her work spans transport, regeneration and urban growth initiatives. She also gardens and cycles in the hills. And um, thank you very much, Josie. Okay, so um, this is just, it's a, it's a very short primer really, isn't it? Yes. In urban design and uh, some of the rules and regulations in Christchurch. So as an urban designer, what levers are available at your disposal at the moment in Christchurch that you could use to start to shift a neighbourhood towards a 15-minute one? Mm. Well, we, we do have quite a few levers. We have quite a lot that's um, actually happening at the moment, um, ranging from, and Anna Alfick has already talked about the, the Greater Christchurch Partnership and the Spatial Plan, and that actually uh, comes down from top down right down to city planning and looking at how we start to develop our city or our city is actually already developed for us We've got a really good starting point in Christchurch. We're essentially, as you've seen from some of the statistics already, we're already getting really good areas of accessibility. We've got um, very close-by facilities. What we need to do is basically use our, our planning and design processes to reinforce those. And that's a combination of both the community and the council working together really to... Uh, to make sure that uh, all of our our kind of vision for these 15-minute cities can be embedded within our plans. So we also have the district plan. It allows for um, uh, mixed-use zones, so it has in our commercial areas. We could have people living there now. Um, there's already the ability to do that. Uh, we just have to help direct and assist uh, our developers and uh, people participating within the development community to be able to pick up those opportunities. So there's some change coming up. What's happening with the government's recent announcement about moves to make it easier to build apartments, townhouses all over mm. our cities? Well, so the government has uh, released an amendment bill recently to the, the Resource Management Act, and that allows uh, three- and four-storey um, uh, townhouses and apartments pretty much in most of our general suburban zones right across the city. So what that means is that um, we can start to get to the sort of intensities that uh, can support public transport, that can make these 15-minute cities, and uh, Jim spoke about that a bit earlier. Um, but what we need to also ensure with that is that we actually design those really well. We, we need to say this is what we want from our, our cities. We need to make sure that when we're designing more intensified areas that uh, we also think about things like safety, um, good amenity, uh, making sure that those places feel really good for people to live in. So what specifically would you do to do that part, to, to change from design, to good design, to change from a neighbourhood that is theoretically a 15-minute neighbourhood but doesn't feel great to live in mm. to one that people really love? Um, what I do, a, a, a really key part of that is making sure that our streets are designed really well. I mm. think it was Rob Adams, um, who's the Melbourne City architect, he said, really, if you have a good street, you can make a great city. So it's it's about making sure that all of the facilities that we, that we want uh, in terms of the 15-minute city 
great footpaths, great cycleways, um, trees and things, objects of interest. You don't want to go and walk somewhere if it's really boring. Um, if you don't feel like you can talk to your neighbours on the way or meet other people. So all of the things that I think most of our speakers have spoken about so far, uh, we need to look at when we are redesigning our streets. And we've got lots of opportunities to do that. So when we're thinking about intensification, we've also seen a quite strong public support for the idea that Christchurch would become a national park city. Mm -hmm. That's an idea that's really taken hold. Are those two things, how can those two things be compatible? Because housing intensification is going to happen, but can we make it work well? Uh, yes, we can, if we put our minds to it. So I'm going to keep on pushing the sort of Good design, good design. So as long as we uh, design our blocks well and we think about how the houses and buildings go together and how they work with the streets as well. So what I mean by that is having uh, a good interface with the streets. We have enough room there to put trees in. Uh, we have enough space uh, across our sites. Uh, to have, you know, one good size tree, for example. Um, and we develop blocks that actually uh, work so that they have spaces within them um, where we can do all sort of our daily activities which also allow us to, to uh, plant trees. So I don't think that there is... Um, it's not one thing or another, but if we work... Uh, and we make sure that we sort of rationalise our space rather than just giving it over to car parking or to access ways to car parking, we've got a really good opportunity to both intensify and to have a urban forest. So you talked then too about, um, you know, local amenities. So the local shops, you know, the corner dairy that was at the end of every street when I was little and isn't there anymore... Um, so what urban design strategies are there that can attract local shops back? And where, in contrast, would, would you see the big barn retail, the big yeah. supermarkets fitting in? Yes, we have lost a lot of those dairies. And a lot of those dairies were, um, and this is where I think we need a bit more flexible zoning. Mm. Um, we have opportunities in some of our new uh, greenfield areas where it's a little bit more flexible in terms of the zoning and I think that should encourage um, uh, some of the smaller shops. Um, in terms of the big barn retail, and I think we're going to have big barn retail for a long time, the better we can integrate it into our existing sort of centres, so build around it in our centres or build it into our centre, sleeve it with smaller um, little shops or with services like doctors and pharmacies and those sorts of things. Um, so it, it does have a place and it can actually be the basis uh, of a 15-minute neighbourhood as well. So just briefly before we wrap up, you use the word sleeve. That's mm. uh, obviously a term. Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, so sleeving that? just means basically building around the edge of the big box with smaller shops. Okay. Yeah, so just a, just a few simple interventions like that. I'm, I'm getting a signal. Yes, right. that's it. Thank okay. you so much, Josie. Thanks, Michelle. Okay. All right. So I'm sorry, we are running a little over, um, but I actually get the last word and I hope you'll bear with me. Today um, has been really stimulating and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. 
Thank you to our speakers and participants. I hope in the, listening to everyone, you've worked out that two things are absolutely essential for retrofitting suburban Christchurch to give us the benefits of 15-minute neighbourhoods. The challenge is, the two things that are essential to this are things that people in Christchurch have often resisted. The first is increasing density, and the second is taking space away from cars. Increased density means better services and amenities near where people live, so there'll be more of the good stuff close to us because there's more people to uh, use those services. And reclaiming space dedicated to cars means we can slow down traffic and make better use of that space and start to see those spaces as places for people and other living species and systems, the stuff that we keep calling nature that we're actually part of. So what do we do about this? As a city, we need to start viewing density with curiosity and an open mind rather than fear. That's really important. We shouldn't be wasting our time arguing against more housing, which our society desperately needs, by, um, if that housing is achieved through increasing density. We should be doing and listening to what Josie was talking about, which is spending our time finding ways to achieve better quality and more diverse density. What we should fear is medium density housing that still prioritises cars, and you'll see a lot of it in your neighbourhoods. Space wasted on large garages and outdoor space wasted on hardscaping to provide driveways and extra off-street car parking when it could be more living area or green space. Yes, there are some very genuine concerns about density that fails to provide a decent living environment for the people that live in those places. But this shouldn't stop us. The climate, housing and inequality crises demand that we find a way to do denser housing and to do it well. So how do we do it well? Well, the first thing we need is leadership. That comes down to commitment and coordination from all tiers of government to retrofit our cities to create these livable 15-minute neighbourhoods. We need to develop communities and not just mass shelter. We need developers to get on board, and it's really interesting that there are increasing signs of this, especially in Auckland. However, developing housing to make a profit cannot be the only way in which we introduce density into our neighbourhoods. The government need to enable and incentivise new models of development, especially through collective housing approaches. And it was interesting to hear Jim name that as one of the solutions that he saw. So this should include papakaina, the original collective housing, community lounge trusts, cooperatives and co-housing. We need essentially more developments like the Peterborough Housing Cooperative. And if you don't know what that is, there'll be a great video coming out on our social media and in a newsletter. Well, at least we'll point you towards a great existing video. Our planning rules and systems have to be perhaps changed to incentivise better quality medium density development. Look, I don't have the answers myself personally on how to do this, but we need to focus on it and we need to make it happen. And one suggestion is, that's been made is to reinstate the, in, uh, the um, government architect so that good design starts at the top. And another recent suggestion came from First Union, the establishment of a Ministry of Green Works to lead on housing, infrastructure and climate action in Aotearoa. What else could we do? 
Well, I would love to see planning and land use as an explicit program of work in the Christchurch City Council's Climate Action Plan. It should be prominent, not tucked away in a bullet point or two. Here in Otatahi, because of the strength and willingness of mana whenua and naitahu whanui, we have a great opportunity to have our urban futures shaped through a te o Māori lens. And this means prioritising the health of all living systems so that the way we plan, design and live in our cities can allow all life to thrive. Think about Otatahi. We're here. And in fact, this whole region of Waitaha is built on water. So we really need a water-focused urbanism that creates a truly blue-green city with clean water and lots of green spaces that shelter denser neighbourhoods. Imagine neighbourhoods focused on waterways, not on roads. And some of these waterways are currently hidden. Higher density housing that surrounds these streams in Awa, and those streams could have rich planting, keeping them clean and full of life and we could intertwine pathways and cycleways and public space. This could be truly a deep regeneration of our neighbourhoods. This could be the special character and amenity that we strive to create and protect. What this means, if you think about it, though, is that whoever does govern three waters in this region, those entities have to not just deliver a service, they have to be involved with us in shaping our blue-green urbanism. So what about cars? Well, all levels of government have to work together to make the car the last choice for a short journey in our neighbourhoods, meaning waka kotahi, our city and regional councils. And I think we should all start to consider with curiosity what would make it easier for you to leave the car behind for a short trip. We should save cars for those who genuinely cannot get around without them. I think we should start to consider it a right to move safely and comfortably in our own neighbourhoods. Safe for absolutely anyone to cross their own street. Safe for an eight-year-old to cycle. And safe and comfortable for us to stop on our streets, to take shade under a tree when we stop to chat with a neighbour. So what are some of the things we could start to do immediately? We could start by asking for lower speed limits. We could explore low-traffic neighbourhoods through temporary road closures and diversions. We could even start organising our own, even if only for a day. Healthy Families Otatahi Christchurch have funding for a series of play streets, so I think you should ask them about setting one up in your neighbourhood. Testing lower... Um, Testing low-traffic neighbourhoods requires community boards, traffic planners, waka kotahi, neighbourhoods, schools, community groups and more to be willing to trial them and to be curious about their effects because ultimately they're about creating better places, providing opportunities to plant more trees, have spaces to meet people, for children to play together, for markets, barbecues and public gatherings. Some other quick-fire ideas. How about initiating our own neighbourhood car shares? Because we could get to a point where we don't all need to have just one. What about, I'm so inspired by Miriam, what about an electric cargo bike or trike share? I'd love that. You could have a party in a park day and use a car park for a temporary public space. Lots of small things can be done well that will contribute to bigger change because it shows people lots of different ideas and keeps the conversation going while we're waiting for government and others to make those bigger things happen.
So I would encourage us all to approach change with curiosity and not fear. What outcomes do we really want in our neighbourhoods? We want more homes, more homes in truly pleasant and attractive places, healthy places that are built around nature, water, plants, birds and insects, and that give us easy, comfortable, low-carbon access to the things that make life good. Thank you. Um, and now I'm going to hand back to Michelle to close things off. And so outside neighbourhoods, we also need a better transport network so we can use low transport means to move across the city, which is by way of a slightly clunky segue to the two events that are coming up tomorrow about moving about around a 21st century city. Uh, we have an info expo, 11 to 1. It's in the plaza that's just down there between Tūranga and the cathedral. It's free. Please come along. You can just turn up. Cargo bikes, electric bus, helping plan your commute to work, climb scooters, look at the inner workings of an EV. Uh, we also do have another speaker event tomorrow, 1.30 to 3, and there's a live stream. So just pop on to Teputa, his YouTube channel, if you're interested. Uh, thank you to all our sponsors and our speakers today. Thank you all for coming along. If you haven't already checked out the resources at the back from Network Waitangi Ototahi, please do. Uh, next to them, there's a board where you can actually put up your It's Time Canterbury cards with the thing that you'd most like to see happen written in. Miriam's brought you trike if anyone would like to have a look at it. Uh, and um, Mitchell and his colleagues are down in the activity room. Also, if you would like to have a look at, at Hamid's maps in more detail, they are now on the City Council's website. Just look under walking and there's an interactive map where you can zoom in and out. Um, and at a COVID safe distance, there are many of our speakers still in the room who'd be quite happy to chat. That's it. Thank you. We hope to see you again in the future. Kakite and all. This has been part two of 15 Minute Neighbourhoods, the fourth event in the Christchurch Conversations Towards 2030 special series on how to achieve the city's 2030 climate targets. Many thanks to Te Putahi, Centre for Architecture and City Making, for kindly sharing this recording. Podcasts of the whole series are available on the Plains FM website. Search Christchurch Conversations. Conversations.